Get ready to rock radio, music you want to hear. Coming from London, the brand new revised Peter Ross Show. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the show. Today we're talking to Status Quo, Francis Rossi and Rick Parfitt, all about their brand new album and film, Bula Quo. Francis is first. Francis Rossi of Status Quo. Welcome, Francis. How are you doing today? Good morning. I'm good, actually. The sun is shining. There's people coming to the studio to do some stuff, and I'm quite chipper. I've had my second cup of coffee, which is why I'm speaking so fast. Other than that, it's all quite good. We've got two new dogs who are causing me a lot of pain, but right. there we are. What are they called? Uh, Maggie and Nancy. They're two little um, crosses between Westy and Jack Russell. And I've got another Westy, and I've got... Uh, a golden retriever that's dying with a huge tumour in oh. her derriere, which is some lovely pictures, isn't it, Create? I've got... I had the same thing. What, the derriere? You had a tumour in your oh, derriere? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, I'm standing up at the moment. That's why I've had that done. Uh, but whose idea was it to go to Fiji and, and make a film like this? Because it's a ridiculous idea, filming it's in all, the sun. It was, it was all ridiculous. All the things that come to us over the years. Yeah. When, uh, when the first someone... We were talking to, to, to Bruce, the guy from uh, Coronation Street, used to come and see us at the Manchester, and I am to say to him, we were doing a photograph, I said, why can't you get us in your job and we come down and stand there and have a drink or something, mm, you know? Mm. Like, it's just banter. Mm. And he said, well, I can do that. I'm sure they love it. And then a couple of years later, along comes the script. I'm thinking, oh, no, I can't do this. We did it. As we got there, they said to us, you're going to have this stunt coordinator, this person, to show you how to fight. I thought, well, but fighting on television is different than anywhere else. And then as we started with this guy, he said to Rick and I, he said, I'd love to make a film with you too. And over the years, these, been, those kind of things are said. And you're kind of, oh, yeah, great. And inside you're thinking, idiot. as we could have been because mm. we're going for that for the child area it's between five and ten years old it really appeals to them so I think we could have uh, roughed it up a little bit but maybe that'll be for if there's Another any more day. movies yeah I but it was great in Fiji loved it Bula, Bula Quo <laughs> it's such a weird thing you know when the Spanish everywhere is they go hola yeah. I, could, I could have sworn everybody in Fiji was going, oh, I hold it Spanish. <laughs> Did you take any acting lessons to, to play yourself or not? No, that was the, the whole thing. I suddenly got really nervous. As I said, you, things come to us over the years, 
And you say, yeah, all right, we'll have a go. When people are very confident in you, I'm terrible at being pushed outside my comfort zone. But once mm. I've done it, it's just, I, I, get, I really enjoy doing it. But the fact they said you can play yourself so Rick and I would go over our conversations and kind of try and talk as best we could uh, mm. like we do. However, as I said to you, I think there are some, some mild swear words in there would be more natural to us if we right. couldn't use the major ones and so on. Um, but no, there was no coaching other than... It's like if I say to you now, look, I'd like you to walk over there, and turn around, look at me, smile, mm. and say so-and-so. You go, all right, and I get used to do it. And you go, and I say, well, look, try again, but can you da-da-da-da? You do it, and I go, fabulous, move on, let's do the next... <laughs> oh, that's good. So it makes, it's like this young boy in me goes, oh, I did it good, Daddy, thank yeah. you. So it's, it's like making an elves. You keep your head down and then suddenly turn around. I wonder what it's actually like. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, well, looking at, looking at the film, Craig uh, Fairbrass, who, who plays your uh, minder, yeah. manager. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, I thought, I wonder if that's their real manager. I thought he played it very well. A lot of people said that, but it's the, it's the cliched version of the manager. Like, right. well, we have the cliched version of the roadies. They call them roadies, but they're not. They're technicians these yeah. days. So I think he played it well for how people envisage these rock and roll managers. But he's nothing like our manager. Our manager's much more polite, much more mild-mannered than that. Did you get a much any... bigger belly. Yeah. yeah, they always are, aren't yeah. they? Did you, did you get any help? from John Lovitz, you know, as far as uh, skill acting and things like that? The best thing about John was he, he, his schedule was such that he came in at a certain point, so we had to do all of his scenes when he was there, but he's got that face that mm. you're either going to laugh at as soon as you yeah, see it, yeah. or if he keeps it dead straight, he's got that, whoop, he could be quite threatening. Mm. But we were doing one scene in, in, the, in the night shoot about the, um, where we look at the little doll that's a blow-up doll. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's about the funniest thing I've got. It's a blow-up doll. No, it's a bomb and um, we, I learned there, too, that in any scene we look at on TV, there are probably 12 to, to 17 people around you that you can't see in the shot, right? Yeah. And we kept doing this shot. And, all of a, and, and you, because we're not very good at this, at learning the entire script, I now realise you should learn the entire script. Where everyone's, so it becomes more conversational than waiting to hear your cue yeah. and you? jumping in on it, you see? So we're doing this scene, and all of a sudden we heard... Right. And it's exactly what happened just then, that sudden silence, like everybody's... What the hell was that? Yeah. So people thought, was that my cue? Was that my cue? And of course, everyone started giggling, and that took us probably an hour and a half because of doing like a lesson, a 45 second clip piece. Yeah. So he was good like that, and it was learning stuff from his face that mm. he can say. We were doing the, 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 uh, the scene with the guns down and the rest and roulette thing. Mm. And I kept looking at his face, and I'd nearly I'd go to laugh. You do that so well, and then he'd just look at you. Like, oh, he's serious. So I think he's one of those comedians that can do that. Mm. He's, he, if he really went into more serious stuff than other than this kind of what we just did, he could be quite threatening. And I find that with quite a few comedians that when they put their real deadpan, you oops, yeah. They look really quite threatening. So he was a pleasure to be with. Let me take you back to when you signed with Pie Records all those oh. years ago. You know, mm. take your memory but right back there to the 60s. Mm -hmm. You know, you had five years with Pie. You had some good hits with them. I mm. mean, you, you started off... Uh, of course, um, Rick wasn't with you initially when you started. No. And you, how did you bump into him? We met at Butlins when... That's when I met my first wife, too. On, on 29th of May 1965 was the day we arrived there, because that's my birthday. Right. I met my first wife there, her sister, and a few hours later I met Rick, and we got to know Rick quite well. And it wasn't until we'd got back from to England, we then got the record deal, and it was by 67, mm. um, there was things about my voice, because I can't really sing, and uh, manager... I think this is probably Alan Lancaster and our manager at the time had discussed it, and... 
He said, well, let's ask Rick. He's very good looking. He draw, he's got that thing that you look at Rick. And uh, they just said, well, would you mind if he joined? I mean, I don't know why I didn't take the hump at the time, but I didn't hmm. because I quite liked him. And he became, we became very friendly, all of us. And it was, it was just part of the way the history developed. Um, but he came in because of his voice, hmm. which is kind of weird because then mine took off with that. Hmm. And he doesn't sing like that. Yes. He has this oh, cabaret voice, which again, he hates me saying, but I, I like that in his voice. It's the true voice. Whereas, yeah. Now he tries to do the eh, 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 which I just don't see it as Rick at all. So what was the key change then, uh, obviously, when, when Rick came aboard and then you went over to Vertigo? What was well, what was first, first off, remember, we had the, we'd recorded Matchstick Men. I, I'm not quite sure if Rick's on it or not. He was in the room and stuff, but then Matchstick Men came out, became a hit. He sang on it. Right. It became a hit. And then there was Ice in the Sun that started to get a real... Um, we were kind of losing it there. You could see because we were being shown what to wear, what to see, what to, how to stand. It was all like that. Mm. And and all the people around us, as the, as the popularity waned, all the people that were around us in the business sort of drifted somewhat. And understandably, that's not a complaint. And we started to do more of the stuff that we did when we first met Rick the early in the middle uh, middle sixties, and uh, we were trying to get work basically. Mm. And we were in a club somewhere in Germany, and I heard someone doing Roadhouse Blues, and we saw this couple dancing, these Germans dancing when two people danced together. They'd obviously, and that kind of got us going into the into the shuffle thing and the semi blues thing that we do. Mm. And it just kind of developed from there, and we all grew hair and became much more scruffy, I suppose, because of it was anything to rebel against the initial showbiz thing we'd been taught. However, that is still with us, like that kind of consummate professional, you know. We will do whatever it takes, really, to keep the band alive. And there, sometimes I think uh, guys in bands get a little of my music, you know, and I won't prostitute myself. Mm. Yes, you will. Mm. But we do. Mm. That's what show business is about. And some people want to say it's not show business. Well, stay at home then. Yeah, well, uh, and we don't. You went from the psychedelic traffic <laughs> name and, and all of that over to. I think really, you were. I suppose you were born, reborn as Quo, and and I, I suppose you fell into into being just you, didn't you? Nineteen sixty-eight. Much more like yeah. it, I think, as well. And um, as I said, we were so directed by people what to play and stage, what to do and stage. And we, were, I'd written Matchstick Men, which was kind of following other people. Yeah. And it wasn't until I did, I think it was in my chair, it was a, like a slow bluesy shuffle that started to, uh, our identity and we began to really enjoy shuffles. I can't help, you know, I'd love to say that um, I was influenced by various black uh, musicians from way back, but I never was. It was the white guys over here who were influenced by the black that I got my influence yeah. of blues from, so it's not kosher, so to speak. Marty Wilde being one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Marty, I can see him in his underpants. I don't know, we went to see him somewhere. He was next door, we were playing, and there he was in his shirt, socks, and underpants. It's mm. just a strange vision. But yes, Marty did the plectrum across the top of the piano for the zing, like ghosts in the sun. Was Justin Hayward playing with him then? I don't think so. No. Not what, what do you mean, in the dressing room? No, I mean, no. You know, on, the, on the stage, yeah. <laughs> you, you walked naughty, into that you, one, didn't you? You are a naughty boy. You walked into that one. Um, no, he wasn't, not that I know of. No. We had Kim out on tour with us the other year, yeah. and of course Marty turned up crazy. And we were always, you know, to us, it was Marty, it was Marty yeah. Wilde, particularly when I was 18 or 19. And he was so... And again, that's why I think where Rick and I have learnt some of our uh, professionalism is that 
you meet someone like that, and he was such a nice man. Whether he is genuine or not, I don't know, but to us, he really was, and each time we meet him, he was. Uh, uh, subsequently, people like the Tremolos that we met, who were kind of seen as uncool, and they were the nicest people we would meet, wherever we bumped into them. Yeah. You know, because generally, you, you're used to, we were being a young band, and people had that... <laughs> that we all do to each other, whereas those people always made us feel uh, that we were okay and we fit in. Going back to being on tour, and you were talking about Mexico, mm. uh, did you find the heat was a bother for you? In Mexico, the heat? Yeah. The pollution, and the last the last time we went there, we weren't there as long this time, which was quite good. Although, with that 24 or 30-odd million or whatever it is in, in Mexico City, the pollution is just ridiculous. Mm. And, of course, you're 7,000 feet above thingy level. Yeah. So, and you can hear that on the recorded stuff. You can... You don't hear it on the night or feel it necessarily on the night other than you can't get a deep enough breath. But the heat in itself wasn't that bad this time. It was just the pollution and it slows you right down. You don't go out and take oxygen, do you? Uh, we had oxygen on stage yeah. with us. Um, we always carry oxygen since this uh, middle 70s when if the venues get too hot, you can't concentrate. The, not enough oxygen gets to the brain. Yeah. People think it's because you're going to, you know, you physically can't do it. It's not that. It's getting the oxygen to the brain. Yeah. And once you do that, it's like, ah, it's a kick in. And mm. the same happened over there when... Even Matthew Letley, he's very unlike him, went for oxygen. Because you, your lungs can't get, get the, the air in. But I love Mexican food. I'm, mm. Oh, I love the breakfast. I had such fabulous breakfasts, I could write home about it. It's fantastic. Let me take you back to Cornwall, 1970, when you were sitting somewhere writing Caroline. Oh, yeah. Uh, on a napkin. How did that come about? We, me and Bob were in a writing phase, and we went on a holiday with our respective wives... I remember Bob's wife was pregnant. I think mine was pregnant with my second or third second. It's very funny, Bob. We'd sit on this beach in the day, and she'd be sat in the wheel in the wheelchair, in the, <laughs> in the deck chair, you know. Yeah. And all of a sudden, she'd say, "Bob, could you move that sun?" So he'd get her chair and he'd move around a little bit like that, and we'd carry on sitting there talking and write, trying to write a lyric. And then Bob, and he'd move her again. And about the third or fourth time in this particular day, he just stood up around the beach. He said, "Ladies and gentlemen, Sue Young, pioneer in Charba. Thank you." <laughs> and so the entire beach will applauded, and she got over there. But um. We were doing the doing the lyric. We got the idea of the song, and it was in a shuffle. And if if you want to turn me on to anything you really instead of da 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 da, and um, we got to this lyric, and it said, "Take shake, take my hand, together we can rock and roll." I said, "Bob, we can't say that." I said, "It's such a hackneyed line. You can't say that anymore." And that was 19 wins, 71, 70. Mm. And subsequently, if you think how many records and references, like people go, I love rock and roll, mm. rock and roll, rock and roll, rock and roll, rock and roll. Talk about saying the same thing over and over. And it just kind of worked. The track just kind of worked. Lots of girls have uh, said to me, were well, you singing that about me? So, well, how could I? I didn't know you. Just done another. There's another song for the movie because because the girl in the movie Laura Aikman is playing a girl called Caroline in it. Yeah. And when we turn up at the, we're looking for a girl called Caroline. So yeah. we have a song called Looking for a Girl Called Caroline. Seems weird to go 
40 odd years and write another song with Caroline in it, but there you go. Well, the Buller Bull, uh, album. <laughs> it's funny that, isn't it, Buller? I know. Was it, um, was it an easy title to find? We've done the documentary, which is Hello Quote, and when we got to doing Feature, into Feature, there was another mooted title, I can't remember what, and it's like in Spain where everybody goes, Hola, everywhere you go, every time you pass someone, they go, Buller, and I kept thinking they were going, Hola, and they were going, Buller, and then one day I'd, had this, I'd already had the song Buller Quote, uh, an idea for it, because I'd done it for something else previously and uh some guy went bulla bulla oh that's it there it is mm. and obviously the managers and everybody else thought bulla quote is much it looks good it's a bit fijian and it's a bit quo and it's like saying hello quo again and then when i got the bulla bulla quo we were away then it started to work <laughs> Does it make a difference when you have a song uh, and it goes to number one? I mean, you just recently had a top ten album. Does it make a difference when you have a song or an album that goes to number one? Or, or do it you used to make a lot of difference financially, particularly. Now, we were just we were saying this yesterday because we're on a promo thing yeah. at the moment, that there are no pieces to be sold. You, you don't get anywhere near the airplay you used to because uh, radio's diverse, uh, diversified so much. Yeah. But it still freaks us out. Yes! It got in the chart. Oh, yes, it's in the... But in terms of what... It's a fraction of what it used to be. Of what it used to be. But still a joy when it happens. So that's what I said to you about the insecure little shovel. Yeah. Or, or the fact that it uh, reaffirms that, yes, you're successful. Were you upset when Radio 1 refused to play your songs? Uh, at first, in a way, but the, the main issue, which we'd done a show for them, they called up in the, like this time of year and we weren't particularly working, mm. and the manager said, um, the BBC would like you to do... Well, I said, no thanks. I said, we're not, not really. He said, well, never mind. And they came back a few... Well, they're very, very keen. Yeah, not really interested. And then they said, well, they've done a vote with their audiences and you're the band they'd most like to see and Delamitri. I was called Delamitri. And... Uh, we did the show to 125,000 people, including with, with Delamitri. And have subsequently, Delamitri have become, have gone. Okay. I shut them down. Mm. And then the thing with us, so before we went to that show, we said, well, there's this issue. You decide you're going to play our records when it suits you. Mm. And they said, well, we'd have no problem then. But, and then subsequently said to us, well, we'll play your songs when they get in the chart. They thought, well, well you they need to play them before. they going to get in the chart. Yeah. So anyway, we did the thing, and then as soon as we'd done that show, the airplay stopped again. So I said to our manager, that's a bit off, you know. He said, well, that's their policy now. I said, fine, OK, can you get the money, please? He said, what do you mean? I said, we took 125,000 people and played for nothing. Yeah. I want the money for the show, no problem. But give us the, don't lead us in, say, do us a free show because we love you to death, and yeah. then change your mind. I understand what they had their own issues. And uh, they, they looked at that. He said, it's not going to work. We need something that's going to... So he said, we're going uh, to sue Radio 1 for not playing your records. So don't be silly. But it was a great angle. And mm. would we have done it again? No. no. But that's the way it was going to be anyway. Were you nervous when you got your OBE? No, I was kind of, I thought, I don't think people like us should get stuff like that. However, once I realised that if a paramedic from Leeds who's done wonderful things, he's not going to get, he's not going to get uh, Sky News come round or CNN yeah. come round, which is what happened as soon as we got it. So we, we maintain or keep the profile of the honours system, which I think, OK, is great. 
whether I'm a royalist or not, when we went to meet the Queen, I've met her a few times. She's a fantastic woman. Mm. You, you can't away whether we, when you believe in royal, in, in that blue blood stuff, which I don't. However, what she does for our country in the promo is similar to what we're doing now. Mm. She is brilliant. Mm. No two ways about it. She is brilliant. I was asking uh, Paul Gambaccini the other day, uh, who was the most famous person that he just spoke to. And he'd just done a question-and-answer thing for you uh, in Leicester Square, I think it was. Oh, did he tell you about that? No, yeah, he did, he I did. Like but, but the funny thing was, you won't believe this, Francis, the mm. funny thing was that he then turned around and he said uh, about y you and Rick, and then he said, and Nelson Mandela. <laughs> wow, <laughs> good company, Well, huh? I thought so. I mean, yeah, that, was, that like was a that. hell of a compliment, wasn't it? It really is, yeah. If you could only play one guitar, just one guitar out of all the guitars that you had, mm. which one would it be? People aren't going to like this, but very recently I had a status made. They made me a guitar, the carbon fibre, the people who make John Edwards basses. Mm. And uh, he, he had one. I started asking to make me one, and I have it in grey. And it's, uh, it's the best guitar I've ever had. I really love it, and I would play that because it's so consistent and I can have it replaced, and it's exactly the same with conventional guitars and... You know, you get a lot of people saying, oh, I like the wood and the rose and this and that. And I think a lot of that is um, jerking off. Mm. Um, you can, it's like when they make a signature series, you think you're going to buy a signature, Eric Clapton signature, you'll sound like Eric Clapton. No, mm. you won't. You sound like yourself. Mm. You will always be, it's the person. I don't understand why or how, but if I pick up any guitar, it's going to sound like I do. So this idea that the magic green Telecaster... And I've done so many moodies with that over the year where I've played different guitars and I've very rarely used that on record. Mm. And people say, oh, I love the sound of that old green telly, don't you? I go, oh, yeah, 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 never be without it. Mm. So it's one of those showbiz things. You know? It's actually, it's just over there in front of me, this um, status guitar. It's one piece, carbon fibre, it's fantastic. What is the album that you've made that's been successful that you're most proud of? Uh, what was the one before last? Not Bullock, Bullock, no, what were we? Pro Quo. Pro Quo, there's one before that. Hello, uh, hello? no, 1973, hello. <laughs> 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 jump, wasn't it? Ooh. Anyway, the one before that, I, I don't think there's any one out. Um, in Search of the Fourth Chord. Hmm. And whilst I thought the title was extremely funny, there were some lovely tracks on there. I think I, some of the, my best writing personally was on there. I did like um, Quid Pro Quo, but I figured a little, it was a bit one-faceted and it starts to like we were trying to make an ACDC album mm. and a lot of people seem to think that's what Quo were all about just that one thing and if you mention the Hello album you can you know in that that there's there's at least there's some uh, light and shade in that but the last one was as you said extremely well received mm. and better than any album for a long time and your favorite track from Bullock Quo then Uh, probably Bulla Quo because it's, it's different and uh, but I really do like Matthew's song on there uh, running inside my head action film uh, you are the star of the action film of course mm. with Rick as well Bulla Quo mm. um, when is it released? I think it's January uh, July 1st we're going to the premiere so if everybody comes along and sees it and tell us what they think really I'm, I'm, I'm ready to um, take the criticism for it but we need people to see it, because like an album, I don't know until people see that, that feedback comes. So please come along and see it. Well, Francis, I must admit, I watched it and I enjoyed it. And thank you very much. You've been most gracious today. Thank you, sir. Get ready to rock radio.